Welcome to the Film Illiterates Podcast, your home for uninformed, unfiltered, ill-advised movie talk. As always, I'm Joe Campbell, and joining me today is our resident anime slash music expert, Alex Patton. Hello. And our resident light beer connoisseur, Nathan Stone. Hey, what's up? Nathan, can I have any brew I want? Dude, you can have any brew you want, as long as it's the coronavirus. Oh! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, speaking of which, how's everyone doing? Staying safe? This uh, the country went crazy this weekend. I mean, I'm all stocked up on my toilet paper for now. Um, I mean, maybe I'll have a, a fort fight or something like that, trying to see how big of a pyramid I can stack with them. Because honestly, I, I don't think I'm going to be on the toilet for that long. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to Costco the other day, mm-hmm. and it was a madhouse. They mm-hmm. had a sign up saying, we're all out of toilet paper, and we're all out of hand sanitizer and a few other things. But I wasn't there stocking up. I was just there doing my regular grocery run. Oh, yeah. I mean, as everyone else should be. But it's like, yeah, you see all this stuff that's going on. I'm, like, I'm seeing people like loading their cars and back seats full of like paper product. Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. It is. Have you, have you gotten out at all, Alex? No. I go to work. What's that? I said, I go to work and I just come home. That's it. There you go. They're like, oh, there's like social distancing. You know, don't go out as much. I'm like, okay. So just live life as normal. Alex's (laughs) life is socially distant from everyone. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Well, I mean, it's a great time to just kind of get on our Netflix and just watch all them Fast and Furious movies, right? That's right. So Mm. speaking of the Fast and the Furious, uh, today is a special episode where we're going to be talking about the works of Vin Diesel uh, with the release of Bloodshot this weekend, which at this rate, who knows if anybody's going to be getting out to see anything. And uh, with uh, every movie being pushed back these these days with a virus out there. I mean, I kind of saw the lineup for this year. It, it doesn't look that great. So we decided to cover a few movies that cover kind of a range of, of his career. Uh, all three of these movies came out around the same time when Vin Diesel was first starting to come up to real prominence i guess you'd say as, as as an actor get people to to really notice him so first we're going to talk about his sci-fi anti-hero riddick from the film pitch black which came out in 2000 and then after that we'll move into his lovable iron giant from the movie uh what was that movie called oh oh the iron giant oh iron giant yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah I, I forgot what the the iron giant from the iron giant was called and we'll be talking about the family man himself, Dom, from The Fast and the Furious. Uh, Vin Diesel fans will notice that we're not talking about Triple X, unfortunately. Uh, for good reasons, for good reasons. <laughs> I actually haven't seen the Triple X movies, and I kind of want to, but it was either talk about Triple X or talk about The Iron Giant. And I, I really want to cover The Iron Giant because I think that covers an aspect of Vin Diesel's career, which we'll get into that is becoming a little bit more prominent, uh, whereas Triple X would would just been another version of his kind of macho man persona. But first, let's talk about what we've been watching on our own. Uh, Nathan, why don't you go ahead and lead us off today? All right. Well, before I, you know, wanted to make sure I got some movies in before the, you know, big quarantine happened, um, I went and saw the new Pixar movie, Onward, um, a fantasy world where two troll brothers have the chance of reuniting with their dad when one of them finds a spell to bring him back to life for just one day, but is only able to get halfway done with the spell. And they have to travel on this big quest to, you know, find another gem to, you know, finish off the spell so they can spend some quality time with their dad. Um, this is a 
kind of like a, a brother bonding movie with, you know, Chris Pratt and uh, Tom Holland kind of like being the two Peters from the Marvel Universe playing brothers in this. And uh, they do a good job with the voice acting. Um, they really have some good banter with each other, some good, like, you know, runoff jokes with each other. Uh, it, it's an okay movie. I'm not saying it's, like, uh, the best Pixar Disney movie I've seen, but it's it kind of falls in that same ballpark, like, you know, Monsters University, where it, it has an interesting concept. It, it's able to kind of, like, pull you along with the story, with the characters, with a lot of the feels that they're trying to put in there. Um, I think if anyone who's into Dungeons and Dragons or any World of Warcraft or any of those role-playing games, this is your kind of a, a bonding movie because there's a lot of jokes in there. I mean, they do a lot of Magic the Gathering jokes. They do a lot of like quest jokes and, you know, have Chris Pratt who's, we're going on a dangerous quest and he's just really hamming it up and it's, it's fantastic. But um, I thought it was good. It was good fun. Okay. I haven't gotten around to seeing that one yet because I... Actually, prom I actually prom promised my daughter that uh, I I'll, I'll take it to her at some point. So uh, we'll see. Because like, I, I would like to see it. Uh, you have anything else? Uh, yeah. So I also had the chance of catching another movie that is now making its um, circuit here in the theaters. And that is the acclaimed 2019 French film, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, and it takes place in like the turn of the century of 1700s France, where this basically she's a, a portrait artist who is commissioned to go to this remote island after this one lady has come out of the convent to wed off to a guy in Italy that she has no intention of marrying. And through it, she has to kind of like paint this woman's portrait in secret. And it turns into basically a lesbian love story. But one thing I did like about it is... It's actually a very well-crafted movie on the process of painting. Um, you know, I kind of was drawing a lot of references to Igmar Bergman's uh, persona and just the way the story is kind of being told and just like seeing the dynamic of these two women um, bonding with each other and really kind of getting to know each other. But it ex it's, it's kind of an interesting movie, I'd have to say. It's not pleasant to watch at times. It's kind of pretty erotic as well. Um, but I think it's... Uh, it's just my own two cents. I enjoyed it. I think it's going to be kind of like one of those sleeper films. Like everyone's talking about it, but no one's really going to go see it. Yeah, I remember seeing trailers for this uh, before it came out. And then obviously since it's come out, it's gotten quite a bit of acclaim. So that one's definitely on my list of movies to check out. Yeah, I will say go in kind of expecting some very difficult scenes to watch, not just because it's, you know, lesbian love scenes or anything like that. But there are some scenes that kind of happen and it's like, oh, OK. Uh, I was not ready for that. Just because it, it does kind of paint this world where these women who are kind of forced against their will to kind of like live in a society where, you know, what they do, what they say, how they present themselves is very scrutinized and there's not a whole lot of liberty or freedom in it. And so it's it's an interesting kind of story like that. But I mean, if it that's kind of like your thing, cool. Otherwise, I'd say, yeah, you know, just take it what it is and just move on. Uh, anything else? Uh, that's pretty much it. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch The Mandalorian yet, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'll um, get some time to do that this week. I mean, what else am I going to do? <laughs> I'm going to be stuck in the house all day. <laughs> you have plenty, plenty of time to watch stuff, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure, yep. Alex? Uh, so I haven't been watching a whole lot new lately. Um, though on YouTube, I started watching a sh kind of short series by a uh, hip-hop producer called Kenny Beats. He has like a series called the cave where he invites different rappers over 
and he makes a beat, just a real quick beat for them and gets them to freestyle on it. It's it's pretty fun. It's not so much about actually making the beat and actually freestyling and whatnot. It's mostly just kind of focuses a lot on the uh, the banter between whoever is in the booth with him and Kenny himself. Um, so there's a lot of great little moments here and there. Like I think it was uh, Thundercat was drinking like four Herba Mates in like 20 minutes, oh, geez. which is insane. Yeah, that is pretty much insane. <laughs> yeah. So it's just funny little stuff like that. And just, you just get to see kind of like a little more of the rapper's personality mixed with Kenny's personality. And yeah, it's, it's enjoyable. Um, the freestyles themselves are ranging from not very good, like Lil Yachty, to something that should be actually a, its own song, which is like with Denzel Curry. Yeah. It's it's just a fun little series. The episodes aren't too long, so you can just burn through them real quick. There's not a whole lot of them. Um, it's kind of just a recent thing that he started, but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at like the uh, just the whole setup of it. It seems very basic. Like he just like has his GoPro just recording in his you know studio as they're mixing, correct? And it's just really that's all it is is him just hanging out and just talking and, and mixing and yeah, singing. Yeah, like I said, that that's that's really like kind of the best part of it. Honestly, it's just is them just bantering. All right. Any any good like mixes that you would recommend or episodes? I mean, you kind of mentioned Denzel Curry, um, but was there like a, another one that you? you uh, Danny Brown's was good. Okay. Because Danny Brown's just an ex- very uh, rather eccentric guy. Um, so that was that one's a fun one to watch. The Freddie Gibbs freestyle was actually good, but a little slim on the the banter. Mm-hmm. Um, the let's see, Joji was good. Thundercat was cool. Mostly you see him like playing around on the bass and like that's just cool to watch he's insanely good at that but uh, you could really start with like any of your favorite rapper and just go from there honestly cool all right well i might check him out then um other than that not a whole lot still gonna keep up on anime but the um newest season for destiny just dropped it's called season of the worthy it's a kind of a really hyped season mostly because one of the returning events is uh trials um, back in D1, this was the pinnacle PvP game mode. It was came around every weekend, and it was something that's that the community has been asking for for a long time. Mostly because we haven't really had a whole lot of anything for PvP for a while. But as far as P- actual like PvP focused content, there hasn't really been much at all since at all. <laughs> so this is a big thing that they're finally putting some more effort into they balanced a lot of weapons, a lot of supers. So there's different things have a little bit more viability, which is fun. Shakes up the meta. It's kind of cool to see that change a little bit and some other guns be uh, reintroduced. I'm going to try really hard to go flawless, um, which is seven wins without losing. I never really played trials much back then just because I got way too tilted and (laughs) I just couldn't handle it. So now that I've gotten much more into PvP, it's going to be something that I'm going to focus on. Is that like a, a common expression in the gaming world? Like, you know, you getting tilted that people oh, will yeah. joke around with each other like, oh, man, you're tilted, man. You're you're so tilted. Yeah. That, yeah. You're, you're getting mad. You're going to rage quit. Yeah. And I've rage quit so many times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but other than trials, PV content is uh, pretty lackluster and kind of boring. It's it, the idea of it's cool bringing in an old like a um, warm mind computer 
that we've dealt with in the past and kind of making that the main focus. Um, yeah, like I said, that's pretty cool. But it, right now, it's just very, very grindy and very kind of boring. So putting more time into this PvP than leveling up and stuff. All right. But other than that, that's been about it. Awesome. Well, so I I actually got out to the theaters last night. Mm-hmm. Um, see Bloodshot, the new Vin Diesel movie. Now, I presume neither of you guys have gotten out to see this yet. Um, so, well, I mean, obviously it's Vin Diesel. Uh, kicks ass. Uh, well, I mean, is there more to it than that? Or is well, it... here, uh, here's a brief synopsis: Ray Garrison, a slain soldier, is reanimated with superpowers. So there you go. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean, that's this, all. That, to be fair, that's all you really need. That's to know. all you really do need to know. This movie is kind of an amalgamation of a whole bunch of other sci-fi stuff we've seen before. The three movies that kept on coming up in my head watching this were Memento, Vantage Point, and Elysium. I was kind of thinking Edge of Tomorrow might also play into that, doesn't it? I went into this thinking it was going to be like Edge of Tomorrow, and I came out thinking of it more like Memento because Edge of Tomorrow is about a time loop. Which, uh, if if you go into this movie knowing the kind of the general premise, you would think, oh yeah, that 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 fits perfectly. And I'm gonna try not to get spoilery, but I'll talk about as much as the trailers show, which the trailers show quite a, a bit. Yeah. But the whole idea is that there's this soldier, and he is is killed and brought back to life by a sort of a futuristic scientific tech company. Uh, he remembers shortly after he wakes up that his wife was murdered by some guy and he has like the internet uploaded into his brain so he can search and find anyone anywhere at any time. And so he goes out, kills the guy who killed his wife. And then the people who bring him back, Guy Pierce runs this this company that's that that brought him back. They shut him down, bring him back. They reboot him, but they mess with his memories. So basically they're, what, what they're doing is resetting him uh, with a new memory of his wife being murdered every time they wake him up uh, with a new face of a guy to, for him to target. So he thinks he's going out to kill, kill the guy who killed his wife over and over and over again. But in reality, they're programming him to go kill whoever they want him to kill. <laughs> so it's an interesting concept. It's based on a graphic novel, which you can, you can totally tell. And so it's a lot of it's really about a guy trying to reclaim his memory, which was really giving me memento vibes also maybe because guy pierce was in it too (laughs) oh guy pierce is in it that's how i forgot about that um i've actually heard from some people who are big fans i guess of the graphic novel that they were kind of a little disappointed by this film just because it kind of missed the mark on a lot of things that the original graphic novel was i don't know for sure i'm I'm not read it but that's what i kind of hear is the rumor going around the the movie was okay it was it's 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 fine it's generally entertaining the first hour or so really is the setup to the movie i mean i mean i mean the, the whole first hour is basically setting up this whole scenario and if you've seen the trailers you know the whole scenario so you're just waiting for the movie to get caught up with the information that you have because once you get to the point when you realize oh this is the thing that's going on he's being rebooted then the movie can really take get going because because now you're going to see like oh how is he going to get out of this situation how is he going to get back at the people who've been doing this to him and that's what I was waiting to get to and it took them an hour to get there I know that always seems like a low burn you're going to lose like half your audience as a result of that and so I'll be honest I was starting to fall asleep in the theater for that first hour mm. and then once they hit that point when oh, okay now the story can really get going then I woke up and I was really into it for the rest of it also every once in a while you'll run into a movie that does this where 
there'll be a really awful piece of writing and then a character will draw attention to like wow that was really shitty writing it's it's a fine line between lazy and clever like to pull something like that off you really have to show your writing chops otherwise and show hey i wrote this really crummy piece of writing right here but that was purposeful and let me prove it to you by having some really awesome writing over here because the whole first section of the movie is about them kind of orchestrating everything in his life, you know, rebooting him over and over again, they have a lot of it scripted out. And they, they also have people who like, you know, they construct his memories like you're constructing a video game, which is kind of cool. You can see them like rendering in different assets and faces and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then they make jokes about how like, oh, yeah, that part's really cliched. Oh, look, now you have Toby Kebbell dancing to Psycho Killer in a, a, you know, a meat factory with pig carcasses hanging around. And then someone says, yeah, that's really cliched and dumb. And the character's like, yeah, it is because I wrote it. Ha ha ha. It's not bad, but it never really rises above that either. Mm -hmm. But it also it also retroactively, even though the first half is supposed to be dumb and cliched. That doesn't make the movie any more fun to watch because you're watching a dumb and cliched movie not knowing it's intentionally supposed to be that way. Oh, so mm, it kind of seems like they kind of went the opposite effect with that, where it's like, yeah, we know we're being dumb, but yeah, when it's... Yeah, but it's, I mean, I mean, again, the, the, the movie is generally pretty fun. The second half is better than the first half. Um, the Elysium stuff comes in when you have, you do have like a whole bunch of people who have been augmented with different kind of exoskeletons and robot parts and all that kind of stuff and there's just one guy who can like you know log himself into like like hook himself into different kind of robot arms and it's kind of cool so it's okay okay it's okay uh next one i'm gonna talk about is the invisible man which came out this year directed by lee Wanell. when cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune she suspects his death was a hoax as a series of coincidences turn lethal Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. Yeah, I've actually heard people like reviewing this movie and they actually said it's surprisingly, it kind of blew their expectations just because this is the same guy who directed Upgrade. So Mm -hmm. um, kind of like they're expecting, oh, is this going to be schlocky? Is it going to be B-rated? It kind of goes in taking the subject really serious. Like I've actually heard some good stuff. Like it really messes with the viewer's mind to make you think, is he really there is this all in her head like the way i guess like it's constructed or something like that it really does well with getting elizabeth moss's head yeah this movie is is great like it's really legitimately great it's it's one of those movies kind of like trained to basson where the genre stuff is really well done like really well done right uh lee Winnell, he uses empty space to the side of the character is kind of like a its own character because right. the invisible man like like the movie isn't showy for the most part. You would think it would be because Upgrade was all about that ass kicking and the effects and right. the, the fighting. But that was kind of like the subject. That was a genre that it was fulfilling. It's like, you know, that kind of just action, you know, uber violent. But like in this, you're right. It is a bit more of like using the empty space. That's actually one thing I've heard is he uses that to his advantage. And it really does mess with you at times. The movie this one, this movie reminded me the most of a lot of the time was uh, Paranormal Activity, oddly enough, because... A lot of times the camera would pan over, just look at like an empty corner and your brain is like, is, is he there? Is, is he not there? Is something going to move? Is something going to jump out? Like you have no idea the whole movie. And it's yeah. fantastic. It's, it's, it's very tense. But then there are a few moments, especially in the second half, where Lee Monell just does just go for it and does have fun and goes all out. There's a, there's a fight scene in a hallway, hallway which is just 
fantastic and it is like something straight out of upgrade but in this in the vein of the the tone that this movie does yeah it really it seems like what he does very well is he really in knowing what the story is about he really puts you in the that space and he builds up the tension that way he builds up the investment so that way when he comes to that kind of a fight scene at the end it, it pays off it feels like a great payoff. And Elizabeth Moss is, Moss is fantastic. This this movie updates the story. I mean, the, the original H.G. Wells' Invisible Man story, it's just completely off the table. This is doing its own unique thing, but it's doing a really cool, uh, very frightening story where basically the main character is being gaslighted the whole movie. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've actually, looking at like Elizabeth Moss's portfolio of this upcoming year, I think her stuff is like the stuff I'm most interested in. She's really kind of, you know, ever since, I guess, The Handmaid's Tale and even her days when she was on Mad Men, she's really kind of, you know, rising up as like one of those A-list actresses. So Yeah, and... And I like that this movie isn't glossy. And but what I mean by that is that it doesn't have kind of that Hollywood done up sheen to it. Like the actors look like they're not wearing makeup. Elizabeth Moss is just wearing just plain baggy clothes the whole movie. The, the sets aren't done up in any fancy way. It's all very grounded and feels lived in and kind of miserable and real. And it, it, it just it, it makes the whole thing feel a lot more relatable. And because the movie is so restrained when those brief bits of violent action happened it hits you I mean, there's one scene in the movie where i literally gasped out loud in the theater it's incredible so i highly recommend checking out the invisible man very timely very tense very well done update to the invisible man story so i'm kind of wondering maybe what i should do is actually if i go to the movie theaters to see the invisible man maybe i should actually cosplay as the original invisible man with claude rains <laughs> Just, you should you should you should, you should you should cosplay as Kevin Bacon in Hollow Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Just to be like, oh, I'm be, I'm being aware of the virus, but at the same time, I'm here because I'm a fan. So, as, as speaking of Hollow Man, I'm I'm actually in the middle of watching it right now. I didn't have time to finish watching it before coming up here, but I, I I'm kind of trying to do like an Invisible Man marathon of sorts. Um, so speaking of which, my third and final movie is the 1933 Claude Rains, The Invisible Man. A scientist finds his, finds a way of becoming invisible, but in doing so, he becomes murderously insane. Uh, so I like this movie. I've seen this one before. I've, I'm a big fan of the H.G. Wells story, and this movie is basically a more or less straight-up adaptation of the H.G. Wells story. Interesting thing about The Invisible Man, and I was thinking about this watching the new one and comparing this one to the, the old one, is that in the original Invisible Man, like, The Invisible Man is a universal monster. He's, he's considered within the Hall of Universal Monsters, right? right? But he's a dude. He's just like a dude. Yeah, I know. But what's kind of interesting about that is like, it kind of like in the same thing with the uh, same light as like Jekyll and Hyde or something like that is it taps into this idea that, like, you know, normal people might have this side to them that they may not know or they may not want to show everyone. But once they have that ability, they really just harnessed it and they just go crazy with it. Right. And in the the new Invisible Man is about a, a man who is a fully formed monster from the beginning that uses his invisibility to do realistic, vile things. Right. Whereas in the original Claude Rains one, or just the original H.G. Wells version, he starts off as like a normal dude who, as he realizes what I can do with this power, he uses for just ill intention. Well, right, exactly. Because both The Invisible Man from 1933 and, and to a degree uh, Hollow Man are about men who are corrupted by the power they get through the invisibility. Uh, in the Claude Rains one, he's a, he's a scientist who who gets this invisibility power, and it kind of just drives him crazy. But the interesting thing about the 
Claude Rains one, even compared to the H.G. Wells book, is that the 1933 movie makes it so that the his insanity is a byproduct of his invisibility. Like, you, you don't see him before he turns invisible, but you kind of get the idea that he was a generally good dude that just went insane because the invisibility, like, did something to his brain. Yeah, but here's the thing. was I, I always kind of got the feeling like it kind of wasn't the case. Like, yeah, he came off as, like, a, a nice dude on the exterior, but when he had this power, maybe that was just revealing something deep inside of him that he always wanted. Kind of like, that's what Hollow Man is about, and that's what the original H.G. Yeah. Wells book is about. The movie Invisible Man from 1933, they explicitly say, like, oh, no, the invisibility on all the animals you tried it on, it turned them crazy, and okay. he's going to turn crazy, too. Okay, that, maybe that's something I kind of forgot about the, that movie, is that you do... Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting departure, because in the original book, and also in, in, in Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon, uh, they do a really good job of establishing that this is what happens when you give someone with an uninformed conscious, a, you know, a fallen human kind, kind of soul, and they have these vices, and you give them this kind of temptation... They will grab it and they will do horrible, horrible things with it because there is no accountability. Right. But as in the Claude Rains movie, Claude Rains movie, by the way, is great. The effects are fantastic. I still wonder how they pulled some of that stuff off. Oh, I know. Great movie. Yeah. But uh, that one tries to take away some of the responsibility from the character by just saying like, yeah, he went crazy. So the the story isn't as good, but the effects and the way the movie is made is fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe that's also kind of like it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, we have the Invisible Man coming out today and you look at how and compare it probably what you did, Joe, back then. It's like it's kind of interesting, like the audiences that they were making this for and just like the time period as well. Probably that was the reason why they kind of said, that, oh, this invisible thing makes you go crazy just because it's like, you know, that was at the time they wanted to still reassure like men can be trusted. Men don't have this ill intention. You can trust them with your life. No man has that intention. But it's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend uh, both the new Invisible Man movie and uh, the original Cloud Rain's Invisible Man movie. If nothing else, the, these movies just in general are a playground for uh, visual effects artists. Because mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I mean, whether it's the original one or the new one, there are some just very well done effects that I'm just scratching my head thinking like, man, that must have been a lot of fun to pull off and very difficult to pull off at the same time. Uh, anyway, let's uh, move on to our main discussion, which is Spotlight on Vin Diesel. All you people are so scared of me. But it ain't me you gotta worry about now. Whatever it is, it got Zeke and it nearly got me! Get it off me! They seem to stick to darkness, so if we stick to daylight, we should be all right. Three movies kind of span, I think, a variety of Vin Diesel's career. We're going to start this thing off by talking about Riddick from Pitch Black. Now, uh, Alex, had you seen Pitch Black or any of the Riddick movies before today? I had not, no. Never seen them. And <laughs> I know what you're going to say. What did you think of Pitch Black? <laughs> it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> Alex, you were like texting us and like chatting with us on Hangouts, like saying like, man, this, this, the visuals here just make me want to vomit or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly what I said. It was just like the first, like maybe five, 10 minutes. I just want to throw up. <laughs> Um, I, I will also admit just like when they're outside on the planet that these guys crashed and land on, um, that oversaturated filter or just like them like opening the iris that much i'm like okay i'm i'm kind of going blind at this point this is too much yeah and just the stupid color like, filters as well it's like why do they keep switching oh, them? i mean i guess i guess they were trying to change it between like the different suns 
sure planet had yeah i mean but one one thing i noticed too was kind of funny was like it seems like they blew their like fancy camera stuff at the very beginning and then later on it was just shot a lot more normally yeah and also that opening crash scene that is way too much shaky cam for just anyone to handle there's 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 shaky cam which which is which can be fine but it's like the camera operator was having a seizure the entire time he was filming like the first 15 20 minutes right i uh, yeah and honestly i think a big reason for why they get so crazy with the camera and building interesting angles or weird effects like that is because they were dealing with like a very small budget like i think this movie only had like uh, 23 million for what it was going for and obviously a good part of that was on the creature effects so everything else was they had to be very creative with how they could you know make this space or whatever sets they had available yeah i mean i i feel like they could have done other things that would have conveyed it but they went with what they went with and uh but let's face it there's only one cool thing that stands out in this movie, right? And that's... I don't... Uh, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know. Vin Diesel. I mean, we're talking about him, okay? No. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I had never seen Pitch Black or any of the Riddick movies before this this watch through. I actually took the time to go through and I, I watched all three Riddick movies. Jeez. Um... <laughs> The first one really did not do much for me. I don't, no, no, I, I didn't. I wouldn't go to say I disliked it necessarily. I certainly didn't have the hatred for it that Alex seems to. Uh, but I, I did not like the style. I, I know the movie is very low budget, but it did have this kind of oversaturated, obnoxious look to it. That was kind of like, uh, this is early two thousands. There, the action scenes again. You could, you could not see anything. It, it's all this quick cutting in the dark, and I. It's one of those things where like. I want to be able to see these alien effects because they look kind of cool, but I can't see doggone squat. It's really hard because I think the guy who directed this, I don't know. David Tui, yeah, uh, he basically was given only just a little bit of money just to kind of like bring this whole concept of this world or this character to the screen. So, and this is tr- kind of trying to start the franchise. So, yeah. the, I, I like the idea that it's trying to set up this this kind of new unique world i like the creativity and and this is something that kind of bleeds into maybe more from my appreciation of the sequels because i i like the chronicles of riddick and the third movie which is just called riddick i like those those two movies a lot better because it it did open up and expanded into this kind of bigger universe and you, you get to see what he was going for he was really trying to make his own kind of little world building project with all this kind of sci-fi and fantasy and magic and technology all thrown in together, which is a cool idea, but this movie is not a great showcase to begin that on. No, I mean, if anything, like the the one thing that I think they get right in the first movie for Pitch Black is Vin Diesel playing Richard Riddick. Um, I think his introduction, uh, this guy who's just like, okay, you remember that scene where he's like trying to get his arms out of like the, you know, being tied to the pole and he just like, like reaches up and dislocates his shoulders just to do that okay i mean already kind of after that i'm kind of sold on this guy i want to follow him i want to see what he does more of but really that's kind of like the big vehicle that's selling this franchise is vin diesel becoming this character really bringing his philosophy to the table and just like how he is this kind of anti-hero who everyone disregards or wants to put down but he's the only one who uses his instincts to make it through to the end yeah, that's that's what I love about him in these in the in these movies is that the concept is really goofy and the movies themselves are very goofy movies. But he plays it so straight. And he doesn't play straight in 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 a sort of like 
in a way that he doesn't seem to understand that they're goofy. No, no, he he knows what kind of movies these are. He and he is just all in on that. He says, "All right, I'm going to be kind of the growling badass that kills aliens." Mm-hmm and has a one-liner for everything it's going to be a dumb one-liner but i'm going to sell the hell out of it and i think that's one thing that vin diesel is really good at is selling silliness that's done in a very serious macho way yeah it, it kind of falls in the same vein as like dwayne johnson or even just like bruce willis like you know you, you put them in, in any kind of a movie they're gonna sell it and they'll bring their own like straightness to it but they'll know when to ham it up, when to put a little bit of jab or wink to the audience or nod here or there. And he does that. He does that. Well, the interesting thing also about, because the difference though is that Dwayne Johnson smiles and winks at the camera and Dwayne Johnson is, is kind of like, yeah, you know I'm in on the joke. Vin Diesel is acting like, no, there is no joke. I'm going to I'm going to sell this to you. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Like they're kind of both opposite in what they do, but they still have that kind of just factor that just, you know, people will be drawn to that and they'll be, like, "Oh yeah, we're on board with this guy." Yeah, and I I think Riddick is is the perfect example for Vin Diesel out of uh the movies we're going to talk to today. This is the one where he can really go for the growling, grimacing kind of anti-hero character. This is the this is the I don't even want to say villain, but you know, you know, this 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 is the hardened guy that doesn't give a crap about anybody and he's gonna go out and he's just out for himself. Where the hell can I get eyes like that? Gotta kill a few people. Okay, I can do it. You're gonna get sent to a slam where they tell you you'll never see daylight again. You dig up a doctor, and you pay him 20 menthol cools to do a surgical shine job on your eyeball. So you can see who's sneaking up on you in the dark. Exactly. Leave. This comes in more more into play also in the uh, the sequels. So, watching the sequels, especially watching Chronicles of Riddick, which is this, this, the second movie, it became apparent to me what these movies are, and that is these are the modern day equivalent of the John Carter of Mars book series. Pretty much, yeah. That was kind of thinking the same thing because I did have a chance actually watching the Chronicles of Riddick, and it definitely has that same kind of just fantasy adventure element. Well, to yeah, it. because John Carter of Mars is all about this, this impossible to beat badass hero guy just going around this uh planet and eating the crap out of aliens and you open up into this big world of you know space politics and you know kings and emperors trying to overthrow each other and subjugate each other and you have these different kinds of religions and cultures all mixed together and this these movies have a lot of that you get a little bit of that in pitch black where you got the um uh, the the was was his name Imam? Yeah, Imam. As they're trying to basically make their way to was it New Mecca? Like they're on this weird pilgrimage or something like that. Right, and then you also have the guy who is the uh, you know the the collector, the archaeologist kind of guy. And yeah, you, you have this, this collection of people where you feel like they're all from different parts of a very big universe, and they all have their own backgrounds and religions and cultures. Mm-hmm. But then Chronicles of Riddick comes in, and all of a sudden you have the necromongers, and you have this this whole army nation of kind of undead zombie people but then you also have new mecca and it has its own look and culture and it it combines turbans with space guns with giant statues and all, all, the, all, this, all this crazy stuff but at the center of it you have just kind of this brute of a man who is all just brute force and he's just forward momentum is what he is but then you get into the third movie, and that one all of a sudden doubles down on the, oh, this is a John Carter of Mars mm-hmm. book thing. Because the, the third movie is, the first like hour of it is just him 
beating the crap out of monsters yep. and like like a whole myriad of different kinds of monsters and they got these creative monster designs and he's just he's either you know training uh taming monster dogs you know it, it, or or these or just slaughtering alien scorpions and all this crazy stuff yeah and the second half is just him taking out mercenaries who are trying to <laughs> to uh take him back right um so yeah i i love the idea of these movies and i love the fact that each movie is grounded by a very consistent character who is just a simple guy who who all he knows is how to kill his way to the top but but he he's surrounded by this bigger wider world yeah and i think that's kind of something that i think is really kind of interesting i was like i was taking note of this it's the same reason why i think like we like characters like han solo or indiana jones or even just like well anyone that harrison ford might play or just they're pretty solid in who they are and just like let's put them in many different world scenarios and let's see how this person is going to respond to that reddick is the same thing you have a grand variety of a universe and all these different world building scenarios that you could put him in and it is just a matter of like throw him in an arena with a monster or throw him in with a bunch of baddies who want to kill him and let's see that kind of be as like how we navigate through this universe so alex not having seen the sequels and hearing what 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 nate and i have have been saying about kind of the world building aspect and the way that that vin diesel's character fits into these what, what what are your thoughts seeing him in Pitch Black and just kind of his his performance in Pitch Black compared to what we've been talking about? I mean, honestly, I I'd be lying if I if I said I wasn't tempted to watch the other movies, if only just kind of to laugh at it. Yeah, they, they, I, like whether or not you actually legitimately like them. Yeah, they are very entertaining movies and they are very silly, mm-hmm. goofy. Yeah, movies. it's you definitely can't take them seriously. It's it's definitely like, yeah, it, there's a lot of fun and you get what you get, which is Vin Diesel kicking ass in a, a sci fi universe with monsters. So pitch black aside, though, kind of the aesthetics of pitch, pitch black aside. Do you have any other thoughts about the way Vin Diesel works in that movie, Alex? I, I did not like his character, to be honest. Like he was he kind of played like you guys were talking about. He He played it totally straight which was kind of annoying to watch just because he's dealing with all these ridiculous one-liners and different things that he does and he's just playing it like he's the cool edgy atheist kind of guy who's gonna kick your ass and it just got so boring (laughs) (laughs) and part of the reason why i think i like the way he played that was I mean, it might just come down to kind of the sense I get of Vin Diesel just from watching some of his other movies and around this and uh, reading about how how nerdy he actually is. And I kind of get the idea that he's just kind of having fun with the material. But I could understand yeah. watching it and being like being really annoyed at him and like, oh, who's this big hunky guy? He thinks he's the coolest guy <laughs> around. <laughs> but then I see stuff like, you know, you know, there's that one shot where I think someone in Pitch Black where someone's talking about like, oh, he could be anywhere. And the camera like zooms and he's just sitting in the background. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I love that. He's just drinking. I know. It's like, you know, he could be anywhere. A guy shoots someone by accident and it's like, I thought it was Reddick. And it just, he dips down, reveals him. I'm like, what the heck movie? And that's the kind of stuff that I love is that, is that I like that Vin Diesel sells that kind of stuff. Like it's silly. It's over the top. Um, but it's, it's, it's just like he, he, he is going all in on this kind of, I'm the cool guy. And I'm going to say some cool line after I, you know, chop someone's head off every single time. And you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> Well, let's move on to a very different kind of Vin Diesel movie. And this is one I want to talk about because it gets into kind of a different aspect of his career. The Iron Giant. Right. Some assumed it was a large meteor or a downed satellite. 
This is no meteor, gentlemen. <laughs> this is something much more dangerous. <laughs> So, I guess you're not gonna hurt me, huh? This is unbelievable. This is the greatest discovery since television or something. Hey, big metal guy! I got food here for you. So, Alex, what, what are your thoughts on the Iron Giant? 1999, a young boy befriends a giant robot from outer space that a paranoid government agent wants to destroy. Uh, uh, did you watch this as a kid, or, or did you see it for the first time when you were older? Oh, yeah, I watched this as a kid, yeah. It's an absolute classic. I love this movie. It's something that so many people have grown up with. And it's something that so many people can still look back on fondly just because it's such a good movie. Yep. I think, I don't know. I don't know of anyone I can think of off the top of my head who hasn't grown up with this movie. This is like, you know, just at the end of like a era of all these 2D animated films. And this was like one that wasn't Disney and it was its own thing and it just stands out. Uh, did you know that Vin Diesel was in this? Um, Yes, I actually rewatched it just last night. I think I watched it a little when I was like a teenager, and I think that's when I kind of found out that he was actually the voice of Giant. I, it's so funny. I talk to people, and they're like, "Wait, Vin Diesel's in that movie?" I'm like, "Yeah, he's the voice of the Giant." And they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah, get, listen to it again." And that threw me for a loop because I mean, I hadn't really seen much of his movies prior to finding that out, so I wasn't able. I didn't recognize his voice. But as soon as I found out about that, watching it again, I was like, oh, yeah, no way. That really is him. You can. Yeah, you can definitely pick it out. Yeah, it's like it's you kind of like probably back then nobody still knew who he was before. This was way before he did Reddick and before he even did um, the Fast and Furious movies. It, this is like he's still an unknown. Like, I think before this, he'd only been in a few movies and he was in Saving Private Ryan. And then suddenly he gets his gig and you're like, oh, that's a very unique voice. Yeah. So I, I I watched this movie when it came out when I was when I was a kid, um, and it honestly didn't leave that much of an impression on me, and I don't know why, but because I watched it then, I th I thought, oh, it's okay, it's it's fine, it's a good movie, and over the years, seeing people, you know, hail it as this this five star you know masterpiece of animation history, I've kind of had this grudge against it as like, oh, I mean, the movie's good, but it's not that good. Uh, Rewatching it this time, I was wrong. This movie is. Fantastic! I, I I was I was nearly brought to tears watching this movie this time. <laughs> I mean, I think I was kind of watching it again, and I think you know when I first saw it, it, it definitely was it hit me in the feels. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting when I saw it as a kid. One thing that kind of just alarmed me at the time was just all the the kind of like the crude adult jokes that were kind of like peppered throughout the whole thing, like. As a kid, I kind of picked up on those. Like, I think there was the one in the restaurant scene where was it the guy and Hogarth has that pet squirrel and he crawls up his pants and he unzips his fly right in front of everyone. I remember being a kid and kind of like being like shocked that that was in an animated film. And I think my parents were as well. But it's like it's those kinds of things that made it stand out. But watching it again, I don't know. There's something about this time around which I was noting that it has an interesting sense of humor and the timing is interesting. But there's some things where I guess the way it's drawn, it didn't work with me as it did when I first saw it. And I can't like pick like certain moments, but it's like there's just the way maybe it's just how it's drawn that it just stretches out a little bit more. But then there's parts that it just it's great. Like when as if the kid is trying to distract his mom, he chucks a penny into the kitchen and it takes on an entire shelf of dishes. Yeah. <laughs> See this? This is called a rock. Rock. Good. 
Now, that is a tree. Rock, tree. Get it? <laughs> That's right! Well, look, just to get back on the track of Vin Diesel um, in this, you know, when if you kind of go in not knowing he is the voice of the giant and hearing what his voice is doing, like he's not saying that much. He's just like saying rock tree. And like you look at the behind the scenes and that's all Vin Diesel's doing in the sound booth. But it's like there's something about that, him delivering it that straight and in the context of the scene that just brings this kind of endearment to the character and it kind of is something that it, it gradually happens in the beginning you're just like okay i'm trying to get used to listening to this character just say one syllable at a time and then at the very end you, you're kind of latched onto him it's kind of like the same way that he does his character for groot all he says is i am groot but he builds up on that and he just carries you all the way through so he doesn't say very much in this movie and, and yet he gets so much heart through just in the few lines he delivers because the movie is very deliberate about what it has him actually say yeah. for mm -hmm. maximum heartstrings. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is that watching this, knowing it's Vin Diesel, you can absolutely hear his voice in it. And usually Vin Diesel's voice is one of the things that I, I, I notice first in the movie because he always has that kind of mumbly growly thing uh, watching Pitch Black. Honestly, that opening monologue, I had no idea half the stuff he had. He was saying I had to turn on subtitles. Right. It's so like deadpan and like monotone, like there's no inflection at all. And I think that is the reason why it kind of works for the giant in this case. Yeah. So that his inflection works really well for the, the giant because he is kind of had this, this gravelly low voice and he talks very monotone, but he's speaking very clearly. He's not whispering anything. He, he has a handful of lines and you really need to know what he's saying in those moments. Right. But the reason I want to talk about Iron Giant as opposed to Triple X was because th this movie is interesting that it kind of introduced him into another a world of voice acting. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, talking about the fact that in a lot of his movies, he kind of whispers these, these lines and I have a hard time understanding what he says. It's interesting that he would go on to do some voice acting. I mean, he came, he went on to do Groot, yeah. which is, you know, he's been in a few of the, of the Marvel movies now and he only has one line, but... If you see the behind the scenes of how he delivers the line, the way he does the inflection to give different emotions across every single time, it's, it's just interesting to me that Vin Diesel, of, of all people, has become kind of a, a, a well-known voice actor for a couple of iconic roles. Yeah, I mean, usually they're always characters like the giant or Groot, this like big, you know, kind of like brute of a force of a character who just you would not expect to have this kind of humanity to it. And that's actually something, Joe, I want to comment on what you said about he brought this whole new level of voice acting because he does deliver his lines very deadpan, very like monotone. There's not a lot of inflection. But in that he kind of explores this kind of humanity that I think a lot of people can relate to. A lot of people can understand. It's almost like hearing like uh, your infant uh, child just like speaking their first word for the first time and just trying to grasp the meaning of that word. And I think he's tapped into that just by his voice alone. And I think that's something I, I kind of liked about this movie this time watching around. I was paying attention to that is seeing how he explores humanity in something that people would just consider to be a weapon or just a monster. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting how Vin Diesel has kind of become known as this uh, almost like a lovable macho man type figure. That if, yeah. if, if, if you need to cast a hunk with heart, you cast Vin Diesel. Mm -hmm. And yet he's made a name for himself off of some of these beloved 
animated characters yeah. that the, the, the iron giant his whole deal is that he is kind of a giant hunk with heart he's a giant metal machine uh in the iron giant's case he's designed for destruction yeah and then ends up becoming a part of a family and he mm-hmm. wants to he, he he wants to love and be loved and not hurt anyone mm-hmm. and you get vin diesel to do that voice because that those are the types of roles that vin diesel plays again a Groot is kind of a similar sort of thing yeah. he's a, a mercenary but he's a lovable mercenary yeah he, yeah he just there's this level of innocence to those characters that i think he is really kind of just presenting like you know what um it's a terrifying exterior you know when we're first introduced to the iron giant it's kind of terrifying it's like it's almost shot like what like an opening scene from et where hogarth is like going through the woods and then suddenly his head comes out of the trees like that and just like starts marching to him like you're instantly terrified of this character but then throughout it you just he uses his voice to kind of bring it down to level. He's like, oh, he's, he doesn't have to be a weapon. He can just be a very lovable big kid. It's actually interesting because it's, it's, it's a departure from Riddick, which is kind of Riddick's almost... Riddick is what you would expect kind of the, the lovable hunk to be. If you take away the lovable part, and he's just like a, like a merciless hunk kind of. <laughs> but at the same time, kind of like what I was noticing also with Riddick is there is this exploration of seeing if there's any humanity left in him. Despite oh, yeah. like, despite I mean, the, like, he's, every... he's the hero of the of the movie. Well, yeah, <laughs> but but if you look at that's what I think where I was getting at with like Pitch Black is like he's presented as the anti-hero, like this guy who would just leave everyone behind just to go off and do his own thing. But in it, he is exploring. Does he have a human side left to him? Is there something in there that he's worth fighting for? Um, and same thing in this case. It's like is is there something good in this character worth exploring? What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. You almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. Granny shifting, not double clutching like you should. You're lucky that 100 shot of Nas didn't blow the welds on the intake. Almost had me? Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. All right, so the last movie we're going to talk about is The Fast and the Furious from 2001. Los Angeles police officer Brian O'Connor must decide where his loyalty really lies when he becomes enamored with the street racing world he has been sent undercover to destroy. All right, Nathan, I'll let you lead this one off. Oh, Uh, boy. (laughs) Have you seen... I presume you're all caught up in the Fast and the Furious movies in general, right? I have, yeah. They're they're not. It's uh, okay. So I understand there's a place for the Fast and Furious. Um, something like that is definitely. I can see why people love those movies. There's enough fun in it. There's enough action. A lot of great stunts. There's cool cars. There's cool dudes driving them. There's cool dudes drinking Corona beer while driving those cars and still at the core of it there's this idea of like oh family sticks together we look out for each other no matter what and it's kind of funny how this movie kicked all that off like you look at this this is like it has all the elements in there of like yeah it has dom in there it has everybody the whole family his sister his girlfriend you know and all these other characters down the road that they'll meet in the los angeles county of them like stealing from you know pickup trucks and working the garage you know having chicken with growing a beer around the (laughs) backyard and saying grace while they have it it's like this movie has all of that um and looking at it back then 
you realize seeing how far this uh series has gone how dated that movie is oh yeah i'm looking at just like the camera setups like the costume design like the colors that they're using and you're like whoo man this movie did not age too well but it still has those elements and i think that's what carried through to everything else and also it has dom you know the role that i think vindy's was just always meant to play because it's it's literally just him so alex had you ever seen this movie before no um the only movie of the fast and the furious series that i'd seen was uh tokyo drift but that was years and years ago uh which which which, which vin diesel isn't in that one i know <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah you know so funny story about that i actually looked this up um there is a cameo at the very very end and originally he was going to have a cameo in the movie well that's Interesting because every time I've watched Tokyo Drift, he does pop up in a cameo at the end. Well, yeah, but that I mean that that that's the only time. Like he was gonna oh, be right. worked into the movie somehow in the main storyline. But he ended up like selling that out just so he could get the royalties for the Reddit Chronicles as well as for um something else. I forget what it was. I think it was a Fast and Furious, uh, something like that. It was so that he could get the royalties for that. So that was like a trade-off. Right. Anyway, uh, Alex, thoughts on on Fast and the Furious? First time watching through the the start to a massive franchise that that went forward. It was a lot less cool than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I think that's part of it. Like Nate, you're saying it's really dated, mm-hmm. and I hate the look of like early two thousand stuff. Oh yeah, it looks so awful i know at that green screen of them like when they're like you know hitting at what 140 miles per hour and you're just seeing like how wonky that green screen effect is yeah that but like to be like for me the coolest part was the cars and i'm sure that that's the case for like a lot of people too is just watching the cars and then the car chases and whatnot that's like the best part of the movie because that's kind of what it's built around right everything else was kind of okay the whole friendship between dom and brian was almost slapped together like there was like maybe a couple scenes where they had where they were like bonding but then it was just like well that's it they're like best buddies now yeah and that doesn't really come until like towards the very end in the third act where you actually start seeing them connect like that before it feels very forced and it feels very shoehorned in and even was that the one character vince who doesn't like brian who steals his corona is like what's this guy doing here getting tuna again the tuna sucks here also Brian orders tuna with no crust. What is he, a child? <laughs> That's pretty much the joke of it. Is he's like he's supposed to be like, oh, he's the the kid of this group that wants to be welcomed in. Oh. Yeah, it's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. I never I never yeah. actually really thought about that. Uh do we do we do we see Mia cutting off the crusts? Um, she does it off screen and then hands it to him, I think. I need to pay attention to that next time. This is my third time watching this movie, so <laughs> this movie it's kind of a garbage movie. Oh, well, um, yeah. you kind of have to go in expecting that and, and willing to accept that because, yeah, you're going to not enjoy this movie. Then. Yeah, I, I would I would I would agree that you kind of have to accept it because it's it is dated. It is very cringeworthy. It's not entirely not entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's it, I mean, it's kind of the charm of watching this movie, I think, comes from knowing where the series goes and just wondering, baffled, how the hell did this series continue after this movie? Uh, not not to mention the second movie. 
or the third movie? How did this keep going on and how did it become a massive blockbuster empire of a series? Yeah, I, I, with 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 you know the heists and and all these crazy like like it's it's a completely mm-hmm. different animal today when it is in that first movie. The first movie is about street racing and stealing DVDs and about there's just drama between family members and relationship drama and how we get from that to you know in the next one they're gonna have like cars spider-manning their way from helicopters (laughs) yeah um i think that that there's only one reason why it's it's the whole crew i think the crew is what sells you on it it's like yeah we don't care how stupid these stunts are or what the whole scope is it's we want to see vin diesel we want to see paul walker we want to see michelle rodriguez all back again and we want to see them you know together and just doing their shit um and i think vin diesel playing dom as he does is one thing that just like keeps you going um you know he presents himself as this you know hard guy with a with a soft heart if you get to know him but he has like you know he'll willing to do anything for family and i think there's a there came a part like towards the very end where you start seeing that as Vin Diesel's bring that out. Like he's not trying to ham it up and he's not trying to do his Vin Diesel like smirk or just like straightness to it. There's parts where he actually can, you know, evoke some, you know, relatability. Like there's this whole scene he has with um uh, Paul Walker's character in his garage talking about his dad and the car that he will never drive. Um and that's just a great opportunity for Vin Diesel to act to his strengths. That's my dad coming up in the pro stock car circuit. Last race of the season. God, a guy named Kenny Linder came up from inside in the final turn and clipped his bumper and put him into the wall at 120. Um, I watched my dad burn to death. I remembered hearing him scream. But the people that were there said that he had died before the tanks blew. They said it was me who was screaming. And I think the reason why that works well is like, as we were kind of talking about, like all of Dom's values of what he stands by, you know, family comes first. Um, you know, I work with cars. I, I love the cool stuff. I love joking around with the boys. You know, I'm into the cool action stuff. And I love, was it that line he says, like, you know, when I get that 10 seconds of just drag racing, I just feel free. It's like, you know, he brings all that to the table. And I think that's what people all like about Dom. That's what people, all all, all audiences who love and fans of this franchise love about Dom is that what he stands for. Because it ripples. It's It's like, you know, he brings it to the table. And I think in a way that's what vin diesel's all about because kind of funny story um just to, you know kind of give you some guess some trivia how vin diesel actually kind of got into acting actually when he was in la was he actually broke into a uh was it like a community college theater to vandalize it and the teacher caught them instead of like reporting them she kind of gave him a script and 20 bucks and said come to the first class this tuesday or something like that <laughs> and so there's a little bit of like history i guess with dom's character that vin diesel's bringing to the table here is like that is kind of like his story he's kind of showing how yeah you can you can come from any background whether it's you know in the bad streets of la or you know some far off planet far off planet you can uh, you make yourself into anything you want and i don't know i guess that's why people love about this series is him playing dom and how dom is really just vin diesel well that's the yeah. interesting thing about watching this this movie now is that 
you look at something like Riddick, and you can tell that Vin Diesel is just having fun. He's he's growling his way through one-liners and kills. Uh, in in this one though, especially looking at the the series going into the future, and uh, you kind of get the idea that Dom is Vin Diesel's baby. This is the mm-hmm. one that he's kind of cultivated, and this is his character from the core, and this is the one that he really cares about, and he's he cares about his image. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the first time I watched this movie that was back when I think Furious 7 came out. I had never seen a Fast and the Furious movie, and I watched them all from the first to the, the seventh one at that point. And knowing that he was in these movies and he was kind of a father figure to, to the, all the characters, th- this whole movie is about whether or not Dom is a good guy. Like, like, like the, the whole movie is about questioning that, you know, whether, yeah. whether he is a a brute who just beats the crap out of people or is he a kind loving guy who really cares about people so so this this character when he first comes in he's a real mystery when you first see him walking in during the uh, the sandwich scene and he, Mia calls him in the first thing first thing you see him actually do is break up a fight and you get the idea that this character is supposed to have kind of power behind him yeah, he he's, has he's he's like the leader wolf of the pack yeah, right exactly so it's interesting seeing seeing where where he eventually goes, but knowing that watching this movie, you know that he's a good guy. But the movie's whole question is about is Dom a good guy, and Vin Diesel plays that well, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it, it, that's the reason why it, he just it works so well. I think for the story with him and Paul Walker, because Paul Walker he plays this undercover cop who's trying to bust these guys who are stealing, just making these hits, and he's kind of like working his way into Dom's crew to kind of infiltrate, like, I believe it was the, the, the Chinese gang. That's like, you know, they're, they're kind of like arch nemesis. Well, trying to figure out who it, who it is that's ripping the truck off. Right. I mean, he is, but in, at the same time, he also kind of figures out, oh, Dom also does his own little hits from here and there. There comes a point, where I think, where at the very end, um, Dom and his crew are trying to help one of their family members just, like, get out of this big issue. He, like, he bet his car in, was it, the race wars, uh, and he's like, well, we're gonna have to steal and we're gonna have to, you know, get him out of this jam. It's like, yeah, he kind of learns, okay, Dom's not necessarily as clean as he turns out to be. He has, he gets his hands dirty sometimes, not, no pun intended, yeah. but, um, I think that's also what we're exploring is, yeah, Joe, you're right. Is he a good guy? Because when the truth comes out, when Paul Walker reveals what he has been doing this whole time. Uh, you see this just look of betrayal and just anger in his face, but also just realizing, you know, Paul Walker came through to help my family. How do I deal with this? Where's Leon and Letty? They're long gone. Then it's over. I didn't call the police, but don't punch me. Put the gun down. I swear to God. You are the cop. You're a cop. Brian, I got to find Jesse before they do. I'm all the kids got. I'll call in the police. PDU pick him up way before Johnny even gets near him. So, Alex, what do you think about this character compared with the uh, the Riddick character and how he works in this movie? I, I, I like him a lot better. I mean, I mean, I like these. I think the story works better with this character because um, he does still kind of play the real straight kind of character. But with this one, it allows him a little bit more fun. You know, he can kind of crack jokes and be a little bit more witty. With Riddick, he was more just straightforward and real edgy you know whether whether or not vin diesel was having fun with the riddick character and kind of really hamming it up this one works a little bit better if he's kind of hamming it up yeah what i'm saying is i I like his character in this way more than uh than in uh pitch black 
Yeah, it is interesting to me, Alex, because uh, uh, what you said about about him having uh, having more fun with 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 Dom and kind of playing it too serious with Riddick, and I, I, I get kind of the opposite impression. But that that I wonder if part of that's because my perception of Riddick is more from the sequels, mm-hmm. and then thinking about Pitch Black, I retroactively put the version of him that I see in you know the Chronicles of Riddick and yeah, the yeah. third movie mm-hmm. uh, into the Pitch Black because you know when I see him delivering lines like he does in the third movie, like. Uh, uh, the quickest way to a man's heart is between the fourth and fifth rib. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, man, he's just having a blast with this kind of stuff. Uh, whereas I watch Dom and I, and I think he is having fun, but I, but I, I, I almost feel like it's a more subtle performance from yeah. Vin Diesel. I, and it's, yeah. it's there, there's more layers to this character. Like, like it's, it's, it's Vin Diesel doing a really good job playing a complicated character versus him just having a blast playing a one note character that cracks one liners and kills people. Yeah. And I could see like how (laughs) Joe, you could bring that to, I guess when watching pitch black, like that kind of, you know, humor of his character to that. Cause I guess when I was watching pitch black, I kind of was taken as like, Oh, this is kind of silly. These people are doing one liners. They're all on a planet. Aliens are going to kill them. It was kind of still goofy, even though like they are trying to act all tough, but you know, either way, I think that's just the, charm about vin diesel is that he can just work that into his characters or the whatever franchise he's on so uh, uh do you guys have anything else any any other thoughts on uh, vin diesel as a whole any of these three movies before we wrap up um well i mean i guess one movie that we could that we have kind of overlooked that is also just how he's all about family and his image is the pacifier you know <laughs> can, can we just look back on that movie and just oh, how a yeah. wonderful uh wonderful no. family film that is you know no we're good we're good i actually don't know if i've ever actually seen that and i very well might have but if i did i completely forget it i mean i think you could show it to your daughter it's pg it's you know it's the disney-fied version of dom we we, I, we I saw that ages ago and i think i'm kind of glad i don't remember anything from it mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm I mean, I guess any of these actors have like their low point. I mean, Dwayne Johnson, what was he, the Tooth Fairy or something like that one time? Oh, yeah. So that's, yeah, he was. They, they all hit that point. Um, I was, uh, uh, I was just scrolling through, by the way, I just wanted to mention this. I, I just, I, I was scrolling through Vin Diesel's filmography on IMDb. I came up on I came up on something called D and Diesel. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh right. Because he's into D and D, isn't he? Yeah, uh, where apparently the last witch hunter that 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 movie he was in, I don't know if you remember that movie. Uh, supposedly that was based completely on his D and D character. Is that really? right? I mean, I'm gonna that's what I heard. I'm gonna have to fact check that, but I, you might be onto something there. Uh, I don't know. If, did we also talk about? Uh, I guess in was it Re- the Chronicles of Reddick? How he got Judy Dench into D and D as well. I, I heard about that. I didn't do any research on it, but I heard about that, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, that's kind of kind of funny. Maybe that's something we I we have yet to see about Vin Diesel is like, can he just be like this big macho like bouncer type of a dude who just is the biggest nerd and he will put out his like D and D board set and like, all right guys, so basically make sure you have your twenty side die. I want to understand would, is that is that, is that, he, like is that, that. he is his just like a big nerd, which is great. I love that, which is another reason I want to see more Riddick movies because I want to see him bring more of that to the, uh, the movies. I, I just want to see him play like something kind of like a big, like, you know, kind of like the the muscle of the group. But then in the shadows, he'll just like do his own like Magic the Gathering tournaments with people online. 
yeah like he, he like he he he's the he's the muscle of the group mm-hmm. but he's also the dm and is running like five different campaigns yeah. <laughs> and he gets frustrated like that's the one thing he gets frustrated about and punches holes in the walls like i can't deal with all these gremlins <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, well that will with that I think that will wrap up this episode of the Film Literates uh, podcast. It's great. I, I'm looking forward to seeing seeing more more of what he does. He's a he's a good guy. He's a good good actor. I want to see more more nerdy stuff from him. I, I I'm really I'm more interested now to check out the Last Witch Hunter than I I ever was before. Anyway, uh, Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, filmliterates.com. We've got a bunch of old not only podcasts but bunch of old um film alerts uh episodes where we talk about kind of do shorter forms of essentially this other than that um if you want to keep up with what i'm listening to because always checking out new and weird things um i'm on rate your music under half scrim um under letterboxd on the same name and twitter at alex d Patton. nate Oh, well, you can find me here at filmilliterates.com doing these podcasts and videos with these guys. Um, I'm also on Instagram for Nathan underscore Stone underscore Films. And I'm also on Letterboxd as Ivan Claysburg. So feel free to come and check out what I've been watching. And uh, you can find me and uh, our videos on filmilliterates.com. You can find us at uh, twitter.com slash filmilliterates. And you can see what I'm watching on letterboxd.com slash film underscore illiterate. Uh, that's it for now. Keep watching Vin Diesel movies and keep it easy and stay safe out there. Everyone, uh, bunker in, stay away from sick people. Don't go out if you're sick and, uh, make sure you're stocked up on toilet paper because that is what's most important in the world. And honestly, if you have <laughs> any idea of catching Corona, make sure it's just a Corona light beer. Yeah. There you go. Stock up, stock up on Corona, but make sure it's the right kind of Corona. Exactly. As well as on your Netflix account so you can watch all those Fast and Furious movies. And The Last Witch Hunter. And The Last Every Vin Diesel movie. How about that? All right, keep it easy.